Amen. We are uh, starting a new series this Sunday. It'll be a, a five-week series on what we're calling Scary Love. Now, hopefully that is, is putting in your mind what in the world could be scary about love. But trust me, the love that you and I are called to is, in fact, a scary love. And in these five weeks, we will look at how Paul describes what love is, how he shares with us what love is. But before he describes it, before he unpacks what love is, first and foremost, he sets the stage for us. So that is why the title for this sermon is Scary Love Setting the Stage. I want to share with you a story of love that has transformed my thinking of love. There was this couple, and actually I know now two couples who this very similar, very same scenario has transpired. There was this couple that was engaged, and the, the, the man had saved himself for marriage, had never went into the bed of anybody, but the woman had been very promiscuous earlier on in her life. And so, but while they were engaged, before they got married, they did a screening. She did a screening for STDs. And it came back that she, in fact, did have an STD. And so, as she went to her fiancé, she said, I know that my promiscuity in life has brought this about. I understand if you no longer want to be with me. I know that you saved yourself for marriage and because if you marry me, you will contract the STD that I have, you have an out. And immediately, both men in this situation, this is exactly the same for both of these situations. Both men said, I love you, and it doesn't matter. You're going to be my wife. And in that story, as I heard about that story, I had a new respect for both men. But I also was transformed in my thinking of love, understanding how sacrificial, how powerful love is. And it's not just love for couples, but it's love for one another. Forgiveness that transpired in that relationship. Because in our world, the idea of love is not what the Bible's idea of love is. Because the world's definition of love is diluted and lacking. It is diluted and lacking. If you were to look at stories of love, even Christian love stories, Christian love uh, novels, right? you see this, this idea of an emotional attachment where it's just simply how I feel or how attracted I am or, you know, and there's this idea that I've heard consistently when it comes to people who decide to divorce, believers or non-believers, and it, it's this, I just simply fell out of love. I'm telling you, if you understand what real love is, you can't fall out of it. It is a decision, it is a choice, it is consistently committed the Spirit of God breathed these words of love through both John and, and Paul as we are going to look at in the Scriptures in a moment. The Holy Spirit breathed these words of love and we must capture them. And so as we look at this entire series, this is the question that we are going to consistently seek to answer because I believe this is the answer that Paul answers. Why is love scary and how do we practice it? 
Why is love scary and how do we practice it? So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 31b through 13, 3. And then we're going to look at 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Uh, and here's the reason why. Because when you look at Scripture, you always have an anchor text. And the anchor text that we have is 1 Corinthians 13. That's where we're going to be anchoring ourselves every week. But you also need what's called a proof text. Because you can sometimes look at Scripture and pull it out of context, and nowhere else in Scripture is there a proof text for that specific idea. But let me tell you, over and over and over again, there are proof texts of what Paul is saying about love. And in 1 John, we will see a proof text. So, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 through 13, 3. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Wow. That's a lot about love. Setting the stage for what love is, as Paul is going to describe from here on what love looks like. And we're going to take an exegetical approach. We are going to slow down and really look at what Paul is talking about. But before we can, as he sets the stage, you cannot look at Scripture in a vacuum. You have to understand the full context of what is going on. It can be easy to pluck things out of Scripture and then use them. Many times, the 1 Corinthians 13 is, is spoken at weddings as if it were just for a married couple. But that's not the context of this passage. The context of this passage is for the body of believers. Now, if you were to look at the, the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church had a lot of stuff that was good that was going on. The Holy Spirit of God was manifesting himself in this church in a powerful and real way. But they had a problem with arrogance. 
They had a problem with pride. They had this feeling that, wow, because I have this gift, I'm better than that believer. Because I come from this political persuasion, I'm better than that believer. Because they had separate beliefs on political ideologies. They also had separate beliefs on meat or no meat that were sacrificed to idols. They came out of the the pagan world and then the others came out of the Jewish world. There was all kinds of chaotic differences that were going on in the church that was causing this separation, this disunity within the church body. And some crazy, crazy, awful things were also happening in the Corinthian church. And so Paul is talking about in verse, in chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, he's talking about spiritual gifts. But sandwiched in between them, he's saying, you need love. He tells them, go after the spiritual gifts. Yes, God has given them to you, the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. He has given you the ability to prophesy. He has given you the ability to heal. He's given you all of these gifts. Live into them. Lean into them. But before you get all happy and prideful and disunifying one another, he stops and he pauses and he tells them the importance of love. Because believers are called to love one another with a scary love. We are called to love one another with a scary love. A love that transcends our human understanding. A love that goes against the grain of our humanity in our own flesh. He calls us to a scary love. The love we are called to is no easy task and so before Paul describes what the love is and he, and he unpacks what it's supposed to look like in the life of a believer, he sets the stage for the importance of love. And we have to remember the context is in the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moving within a believer. And so he's saying that you cannot, you should not try to live this life of love without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He ends this passage in 13 saying, we have hope, faith, and love, and the greatest of them is love. He's anchoring the importance of love in our filling of the Holy Spirit and our ability to live the gospel life. So why is love scary? Well, love is scary because love is the impetus of the entire Christian life. Love is the impetus of the entire Christian life. Paul was describing, as he said, the more excellent way. He said, go after the gifts, but let me show you a more excellent way, a more excellent path to go after these gifts. Because you're going about seeking them in all the wrong ways. It was not, again, meant to be a ballad of love for couples, but rather a description of love between believers. As we look at this, we have to understand the contextual writing of Paul. This is for how we are to love our brother and sister in Christ. And I will repeat that over and over again as we go through this series because this is important for us to capture. And the Greek word for love here is agape and it is this deep, rich, committed love. 
And so he uses the word agape over and over again. Even when he says love is patient, love is kind, he's saying agape is. Agape is. This is the same word that God uses in John 3.16. For God so agape the world. Talk about a really tough act to follow. But we are to agape one another. With the same love that Christ loves the church, we are to love one another. That is the difficult task. Gordon Fee states it this way. He's probably my favorite Corinthian commentator. He says, love is primary for Paul because it has already been given concrete expression in the coming of the Lord Jesus to die for the sins of the world. Christ has already modeled this love. God will never call you and I to something that he has not already done. He will not call you and I to live a specific way that he's not already living. He is calling us to a more excellent way. He's calling us to love in a way that the world could never love. And so it becomes a difficult thing to comprehend. But trust me. You and I have the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability, if we surrender, to love the way in which he calls us to love. Fee continues, love is not an idea for Paul. It's not even a motivating factor for behavior, but it is behavior. Love is behavior. It is how we live it out. It's not just something that motivates us. It's not a fleeting feeling. It is how we act towards one another. It is the way we are to live. And we have to grasp that fullness. Marion Swords says this, point number four, to love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. According to Paul's teaching about Christian belief and practice, human lives and achievements are ultimately judged by the presence of or absence of love. But capture that. To love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. If we're not acting in love to one another, it's not love at all. It's really easy, really, really, really easy to say, I love you. I really love you. But the next sentence, you could say, I really love Oreos. I really love Fritos and all the O's that you could think of, because there's a lot of them. Cheetos, Fritos, Oreos, and they're all very terrible for your body. But you can say, I love that thing, or I love that item, or I love that food, and it has diminished. You could say, I really like my taste buds dance when I eat that thing, Right? But to say you love it is to diminish the fullness of what the word love is to mean. It is not an emotion. It is an action. It is behavior. Christianity without love is just useless religion. Christianity without love is useless religion. If the impetus for the Christian life is love, without it, we don't have Christianity. We have religion. We have strict thinking. But if we see that the motivating factor for God to send Christ to the cross, it was an action. He sent him. 
He didn't just say, oh, one day it'd be really nice if I did that. Hmm. And he never does it. But he acted. It was the impetus for why he sent Jesus. For God so agaped the world. Jonathan Swift, the satirical author of Gulliver's Gulliver's Travels, said this, We have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. That's a really tough, tough word. Because when you look at what Christians talk about, often we talk about the things we are against. We push back on the things that we dislike about the world or even dislike about other believers. But what if we stopped focusing on those things and put more emphasis on loving one another and praised God for our brother or for our sister and asked the Lord because there are going to be people that are really hard to love. And you have to ask the Holy Spirit, let me love that person. Because right now, I really don't. Now, love doesn't always mean you have to like what the person is saying and like what the person is doing. Love is deeper. Like is fleeting. Love is committed. Agape is a deep, rich reality of the believer. We must see that without it, we are just in a useless religion. But because of it, that is the impetus and the power of our faith. Love is scary because without it, our Christianity is powerless. Love is scary also because love is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit. Love is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's, I'm not saying that that's the primary job of the Holy Spirit because the primary job of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is to glorify Jesus. But it is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Listen to the context. He is saying to the body of believers in Corinthians who fancied themselves spiritually elite. They would look at the church in Ephesus and say, huh, you really know your Bible, but the Holy Spirit's coming to our church. They felt themselves spiritually elite. And he says, you know what? Yeah, God is doing some great things. And yes, you need to pursue those spiritual gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. But let me show you a more excellent way in order to live into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that is love. If someone says, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but I hate you, brother. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with some emotional excitement. If they writhe on the floor and then they go home and start yelling at their friends or yelling at their wife, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. That was all a show. Now, can the Holy Spirit do that? Absolutely. But the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit is love. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will love. We will love. And Paul mentions in verse 1, tongues of men and angels for a very important reason. And here's the reason. Because the, the Holy Spirit, again, like I said, was really manifesting himself in the church of Corinth. And one of the main manifestations that was happening in that church was the gift of tongues. And Paul has to tell them, here's how you actually live into this gift. And in fact, yes, that's a really good gift, but the gift of prophecy is much more important. He's like, you guys are missing the point. 
Yes, that's a good gift. Yes, that's a gift that's for the church in Corinth and for the church today. But, but you're not spiritually elite because you have that gift. You're not above other believers in other churches. You're not above the person who sits next to you who doesn't have that gift. No, 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 no. Love is important. And he specifically pointed that one out because that was the gift that they were prideful of. And just like many in the charismatic churches today, they would say that the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit is tongues. Well, here Paul says, that's not true. The primary evidence of the Holy Spirit is love. So if you speak in tongues at church and then you cuss out your brother or sister in Christ the next day, you really weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. You were just lipping some crazy stuff. Because he says it's a resounding gong. It's like a symbol. It's useless. It's just digging around with all kinds of different sounds out of your mouth. If it doesn't have love, it doesn't mean anything. And what he's saying is that without love, which will later be described in chapter 14 as seeking edification of the body, the gift of tongues resounds with meaningless sounds. Fee puts it this way. To speak in tongues as they were doing, thinking that they were spirit people, but with no concern for building up the community, it is not merely to speak unintelligible words. It makes a sound of the empty, hollow noises of pagan worship. You see, again, if you remember, the Corinthian church was in a very Greco-Roman world. And in pagan worship, they would play gongs and cymbals. And they would dance around in their worship of the other gods. And they would make a big show of it. And so he purposely says, listen, without love, yeah, that's a great gift. But without love, you're just worshiping not God. <laughs> you're falling into a pagan worship session. Again, he's not saying that the gift is irrelevant. He's not saying the gift is bad. What he's saying is if you don't have love, if your purpose is not to build up the community, but it is to build up your own self and your own pride, you're not living into the gift correctly. Somebody can have the gift of prophecy, and they can preach the word of God, but they do it in anger, and they do it in hate, and they do it in a way that does not edify the body of believers. They're not speaking filled with the Holy Spirit. It could be true words, but if it's not done in the right heart, it's useless. And so it's vital for us to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit's gift of love to us. Warren Wearsby says it this way, spiritual gifts no matter how exciting and wonderful, are useless and even destructive if they're not ministered in love. The spiritual gifts can be destructive if not directed in love. Because, say for example, let's use the, the, the preaching at the pulpit, right? It's destructive to the people when it's done in hate, because they go away thinking that they are totally messed up and God can never love them. Or they feel that hatred from the person who is preaching or speaking or teaching. And they feel that that's the hatred of God upon them. Now we should be convinced and convicted of our own sins when we come to the Bible. The Bible is in fact many times offensive to our human fleshly desires. But... If you do not feel the love and the tenderness of God in the words, 
while you're convinced and convicted, then maybe it wasn't administered in love. And so love is vital. Because without love, the spiritual gifts elevate individuals and can harm the church. And can harm the church. And that includes all of the spiritual gifts. Why are we doing what we're doing? If it's not because of love, it is in fact useless. And can in fact be destructive. So we must love. Love is not scary just because it is essential for the gifts. But love is scary also because the believer is nothing without love. Now here's where Paul steps on a lot of toes. Here's where Paul and John really start going at it and digging at the heart of the believer. Because the believer is nothing without love. Not only are the gifts nothing without love, but the believer themselves is nothing without love. Believers are to love. Fee states it this way, to have love means to act in a way that is loving. To have love, therefore, means to be toward others the way God and Christ has been toward us. Paul is purposely setting the stage for love before he describes what love looks like. Because the Corinthians could say, oh yeah, I can love like that. Yeah, as you, as you list out those things, I have at least half of those. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm loving. I'm doing a really good job. But he's saying, no, no, no. Before we talk about what love looks like, we have to set the stage of importance for you to focus really quickly on how vital to the life of the believer love really is. He says very clearly that we are nothing. He says in verse 2, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. He includes himself in that. Listen, he's including himself, saying, listen, as, a, as an apostle, as a, purpose, as a person who has been planting churches in the name of Jesus, if I'm doing all of that, and he uses the word all specifically in all those spaces, because he's saying, no matter what, no matter how much I have, even if I have all of these things, and I don't have love, I, Paul, am nothing. And so he's also saying the inverse, saying you, the church, as a believer, are nothing. Wow, is that hard to swallow? Wow, is that difficult to understand? And what he's doing to the Corinthian church and now to us is having them beg the question, do I have love? Am I acting in a loving way to my brother, to my sister? Do I have this love? Do I have this agape? He's purposely going after the jugular before he describes it so that they have to ask themselves, am I loving? 
not only does he talk about the gift of tongues, but he also talks about the gift of prophecy, as I had mentioned before. And Paul will say that the most important gift for the church, for the body of believers, is the gift of prophecy, where we are foretelling from the scriptures and we're foretelling what is going to happen in the future. He says that aspect of the church is the most important for edification of the church because as we expound upon the scriptures, it encourages us to live the way we are supposed to live. And that lifts us up and that raises us up. Yes, even when we're convicted of our sins and convicted of walking in our flesh, that is edifying. It is building us up. It's tearing down the walls of the flesh and raising up the walls of the Spirit in our lives. He said that's most important. But... (laughs) Even if I do that gift, even if I have that gift, even if I'm living in that gift without love, I am nothing. And 1 John 4, 7 through 12 echoes this. Specifically in verse 8, John says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Man, that's going after the believer's jugular. Not only is he saying, I echo what Paul has said, that we are nothing. John is saying that if we do not know love, we do not know God. And if you look at the context, he's saying that Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for us. And we don't understand real love if we don't allow that reality to change who we are. Because when we understand the totality of God's love for us, that Jesus died, we cannot help but love. Because we say, look at what he did for me. I must do that for other people. Because the cross is transformative. The reality of God's agape, that he so sent his son, is transformative. It's not just informative. It's not just something that we say, oh, he's my savior, thank you. No, (laughs) it gives us a new heart. We are called to regeneration. Paul talks about the regenerate heart. And in, in, in Malachi and others, they talk about the new heart that the body of believers receives at salvation. We give up our heart of stone and we receive a heart of flesh. We are made new. The heart of stone that could never love now is replaced with a heart of flesh that can love. We are changed and transformed. So essentially, no God, no love. But no love, no God. And I know I'm using the, that's <laughs> been used many times. But no as in knowing God, then you'll know love. But if you don't have the evidence of love, John is saying that you don't really know God. You're not really connected to God. Now are we going to slip into aspects where we're not loving? yes. Just like we slip into aspects of, our, of giving into our flesh. But if the majority of your life is not marked or evidenced by love, you're not really knowing who God is. You've not really grasped the fullness of what Christ has done. That, my friends, is a scary thought. Love is scary. 
because it's not easy to live out. It challenges our very faith at its core because love is the core of Christianity. Sword says this, Paul makes it clear that even extraordinary, powerful faith, which can accomplish great feats, is of marginal value or even useless in the one with such faith that has no love. Even our faith, if I have all faith that can move mountains, and without love, I'm nothing. And then Paul will end, again, as we said, There is hope, faith, and love. But the greatest of those is love. Love is important. This is difficult. How can we love as we are called to love? How do we live out? How do we see the evidence of the love that we're called to? Well, that's what he's setting the stage for. You see, Paul is purposely setting the stage, saying, get ready. Prepare your hearts to understand the evidence of love in your life. Now, many of us will look at this list and just like the Corinthian church could have done and said, yeah, I got most of those. So there is some evidence of love in our lives, right? I don't want to scare people where you're like, oh, they're really saved. I don't have all of those. None of us have all of those at any given time. But is the majority of our lives manifesting the love that Paul is going to describe? That is is the stage that he's setting for us and the Corinthian church because love is the core of the gospel. And without love, we miss the entire point. Without love, we miss the entire point of the gospel. We came to the Lord's table this morning. And why did Christ come? Why did he come, church? Love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. We could quote that. We've known it probably since we were four years old when we could speak and understand what people were saying and repeat what they were saying. But love is what drove him to the cross. Love is the core of the gospel. And if we don't grasp the fullness of love, we're missing the entire point of the gospel. In the coming weeks and in the coming verses, we're going to expound upon what this love looks like. And I want to challenge you to reflect, as Paul is purposely trying to get us to reflect, on is the majority of my life marked by love? Is it marked by love? Again, in this church, there were so many aspects of division. They even made up extra aspects of division. I follow Paul. I follow Paulos. Oh, that's my favorite teacher. Man, I love it when Mark Hank teaches Sunday school. He's my teacher. Hashtag my teacher. Those of you who are younger, you get it. (laughs) And... There were all kinds of other things. Like I said, they have different ideologies about the world. Some come from a Roman perspective, a, Roman, a Greco-Roman perspective on political ideology. Others came from the Pharisaical Jewish way of political ideology. 
And Paul is saying, I don't care how different your political ideology is. If that person claims Jesus Christ, they are your brother and sister, and you must love them, even if you don't like what they stand for. The same for the spiritual gifts, where they said, man, the gift of tongues, if you don't have it, you are not a strong, good, awesome Christian like I am. And here he's saying, that's not true. No matter what gifts people have, they are your brother and sister in Jesus Christ, and you must, you must love them. You might not always like what happens in their life. You might not always agree with how they're living their life. But as Matthew 7 says, do not judge lest you too be judged. You and I have no right to judge another believer's salvation at all. We are simply to love and say, you know what, God, they're not manifesting love. I pray for them. I pray that you will bring about more love in their lives and more love in my life when I don't like them. Help me to love them. Because love is the core of the gospel. As we look at this scary love, may we give love the proper weight in our Christian life. May we see exactly what Paul is saying to the church and own it for us because it is a word for us as well. Otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted thousands of years. God wants us to know this. So as we come to this scary love, as we see the stage set, may we put the proper weight of love in our Christian life. Love is vital to the entire scope of the Christian love, of the Christian faith of the Christian life. So may we have love. May we live love. And Paul will show us through the Holy Spirit the more excellent way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so undeserving of the love that you have given our brother and sister in Christ, they are so undeserving of the love that you have given. But you love them anyways, and you call us to love them anyways. And you call us to the love that you have given. May your love so transform us that we can't help but love, not only our brother or sister, but also our enemy. May we be marked by love. Can we disagree? Yes but no matter what, we are to love. And I pray that we will. I pray that I will. Holy Spirit, fill us to overflowing with love. Amen.